Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail, the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the critically acclaimed network. My name is William Bibiani. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, I, for the purpose of the purposes of this podcast, you may call me Rockmeister McCool. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. You can call me Whitney. However, call, call me late for dinner. If you, you, like. you may want to celebrate by calling Whitney Rockmeister McCool because this is our 150th episode of We've Got hey, Mail. Hey, it's our sesquicentennial. I totally messed it up. That's okay. That's okay. For yes, once, I knew sesquicentennial is the word I was looking yeah. for. And and as is tradition for every single important milestone here at a podcast at the critically acclaimed network, we have nothing prepared. Absolutely no. We we no. don't do we don't do anniversaries. That here. is we just cool. sort of, uh, just We'll note it. Yeah we'll, yeah, we'll point it out. Oh hey, isn't that kind of fun? There's a zero at the end. Uh, when we started up, we we wanted to do like special things when we hit milestones. I remember on our first anniversary, we did like a whole scripted radio drama. Oh, that was in the old uh, B movies yeah, podcast. The B movies podcast that's, days, yeah, a long time had ago. Had some friends on the show, and yeah, uh, that, that was is, that was really fun. We that had was a, a fun thing to Mar- do. Mark Edward Hoyk, a, a, yeah. a beloved friend of ours, uh, played a villain mm-hmm. in a piece where we were kidnapped. Yeah, uh, Dave White and Alonzo Duralde agreed to be on it. Uh, they were very game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesse Malton and Gray Drake—they all ap- agreed to be on this thing. Yeah, I don't just, know. Just for I funsies, I, I think it was just they had nothing better to do that afternoon. But yeah. I'm very grateful for that afternoon, mm. and, uh, and thank goodness for them. But yeah, no, this is just a we've got mail. We actually haven't done one in a little while. We so we're sorry about that. It's it's uh, eh, life. But, oh, oh uh, life. but we love hearing from you. It's This is one of our favorite things to do. And if you want to join in, it's very easy. You can email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Mm-hmm. Or if you would prefer, you can send us a piece of a physical uh, mail. That's right. To our P.O. Box. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, just send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064, and, USA. Uh, that's right. Y- yes, USA. Thank you for clarifying. The uh, we, we love getting mail in the mailbox. It's absolutely no requirement, but our, our rule is as long as there is enough to, to get through, mm-hmm. uh, we will always start every We've Got Mail with whatever was in our mailbox. And, uh, and uh, this week we had a JCPenney catalog, which I oh. accidentally threw away, so we're not going to be reading that in full. Oh, that's uh, too bad. Sorry. And uh, so, I don't know how to, that got in there. Sorry to our listener, JCPenney. <laughs> um, Thank you, Mr. Penny. For a while there, when when I first opened up our, our post office box, we were yeah. still getting mail from like whoever had previously it before, had yeah. it. And, uh, and it was all of this like horrendous right-wing magazines oh, and no. stuff and yeah it was all uh, oh how and, and here's why joe biden is a complete psychopath kind of mm. articles and yeah that that stopped after a little yeah while. i'm working to read that on the air uh but we did get a piece of mail yeah, and i want to say uh, thank you to the person who sent it I, we have not opened it, it yet yeah, so this is interesting strike oh there's uh, a letter and there's some other, tr- other things there's something else and cool? this is an international letter this one came from overseas oh wow it came from the netherlands and oh gosh, there's things. Oh my in god, here. what have we got there? Looks like oh my goodness, <gasps> it's little pins of Badgie from Star Trek Lower Decks. Oh my god, these little homemade badgies. Oh my god, I love um, this. If you don't watch Star Trek Lower Decks, um, one of the characters, uh, Anson Rutherford, uh, <laughs> he he's like a complete engineering nerd. He just loves technical stuff, and in his spare time, wanted to create like uh, an educational program. Yeah. On the holodeck, and it was hosted by 
uh, a Starfleet insignia badge, but anthropomorphized. It had like a little face and arms and legs, and he called it Badgy. But then a computer virus leaked in. It became sentient and also evil. <laughs> so it would try to kill him whenever he went on the, the holodeck. Ah, bummer. And yeah, it has a little tag that says, Hi, can I teach you a lesson? And there's a little uh, yeah. QR code on there. You'll have to scan that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hold on. I'm trying to find uh, where you can uh, find their work. There's a, there's a little uh, sticker here that says Star Trek the Pod Directive. Nice. Uh, and there's a little... little. Uh, you get to hear all the crinkling. Dude. Yeah, that's, that's really exciting. There's a little piece of artwork in here. Oh, my goodness. It's like a little watercolor. <gasps> oh, that's really beautiful. Oh, my God. Oh, look at this little... It's like uh, It looks like people walking down a rainy street. Oh my god, that is stunning! Yeah, and it's another sticker of Star Trek the oh Pod Directive. Uh, it says two William Bobiani Whitney Seibold acrylically claimed clothes. One badgy badge. Two. Number two stickers. Two. Three. One watercolor. One. Oh four explanation letter. And five <laughs> in- inventory list. This one from Anna. Okay. Okay. And, well, uh, I want to read the explanation. And here's letter. the actual letter. Thank you. you no, know, there's even a little drawing of badgy on oh it. God, so it. it says, uh, "Dear Bibbs and Whitney, let me explain the contents of this envelope." For the Star Trek Cruise 6, that's uh, like a cruise ship, Star Trek themed cruise ship ride. Okay. Uh, I have made a bunch of badgies. Isn't he the best villain in the history of Star Trek? <laughs> These two I saved for you. Sadly, I did not manage to see you guys in LA, but I will go to the New Beverly Cinema and see Kill Bill Volume 1. If not for you, I wouldn't even know about the venue, so thank you. Um, uh, I'm technically still on the payroll. At, uh, oh. at the New Beverly Cinema, even though I haven't worked a shift there in over a year. Wow. Um, but they haven't asked for their keys back, so I'm still technically an employee. Um, this means uh, I, I, I'm not permitted to talk about the films of Quentin Tarantino. That's yeah. Professionally. That's how they get you. Uh, number two, stickers from the said cruise were uh, were Tawny Newsom and Paul F. Tompkin. Uh, oh, the pod were Star Trek The Pod Directive. These are the okay. stickers. Okay, thank you. Uh, Tawny Newsom Ooh, and Paul F. Tompkins record an episode of their podcast on the cruise. Very fun. Yeah. Tawny Newsom, uh, who plays uh, uh, Ensign Beckett Mariner on yeah. Lower Decks. And uh, number three, a couple of months ago, Whitney was saying how his son was excited about rain in Los Angeles. I live in the Netherlands, and I'm not excited about rain at all. <laughs> we get it so rarely. We had a yeah. nice, long, rainy Wait, season yeah, this year. Yeah, haven't uh, had that in years. Yeah, yeah uh, But I like paintings, uh, so I'd like you, Whitney, to have this tiny watercolor. Thank you for everything, and you are so lucky to live in L.A. I think it is literally the only city I've been to in the U.S. that I liked. Ha ha. Uh, <laughs> hugs Anna. Well, thank you for all these generous yeah. things. Oh, I love the badges. And, and these I'm are sorry wonderful. And this is a really beautiful. I'm sorry we couldn't do anything street. in person. It was just a rough time. Yeah. But these are lovely, and I'm going to treasure yeah. my badgie. And, and here's a sticker you can put on your laptop. I will. There. I will. I'm gonna. Well, my laptop has to go in for maintenance again. Oh so man, I'm worried because uh, the last time I took my laptop in, I had all a huge collection of like monster themed stickers uh-huh. that I'd stuck to the ba- to the back of my laptop, and I lost them all, and I didn't even take a picture ahead of time. Oh no! So at the moment, my laptop has a whole bunch of. Uh, my my car- pride, pride stickers. Well, my it. partner got me a uh, for like um, I think it was my birthday. They got me a pack of asexual pride stickers. Mm. So I have a lot of those. I have a couple of stickers from KCRW, the yeah, radio okay. network where we sometimes do shows. I have a I have a sticker that says "Visit Risa" for all <laughs> of our Star Trek it. fans. I have an "I Stand with Planned Parenthood" sticker, and I'd be really really bummed if mm-hmm. I uh, if I lost these. So I'll wait just in case. And if if this uh, laptop, I lose those stickers. This will be the first one to put on the new one. All right. 
Well, thank you very much, Anna. This is very generous of you. And uh, lovely, sweet. I've been always been curious about the Star Trek cruise. I mean, cruises mm. are a little bit dodgy to me. Ah, uh, yeah. The, like you can I kept hearing all these stories about how like that's where coronaviruses were being spread around mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and they seem like kind of petri dishes anyway. It, uh, it, it, it's definitely, there are definitely things that would not appeal to some people. Yeah. I think yeah. we can safely say that about and, cruises. Uh, and I'll say this, I don't like lobster bisque, so I have no oh. real reason to go on a cruise. Is, is, uh, do they just only serve lobster bisque? That's that's the only food they have on any cruise, is just buckets and buckets of lobster I, bisque. I have no <laughs> desire to get good at shuffleboard, so I mm. don't know what else I would do with my time. Uh, you'd eat lobster bisque. Oh, well, that's not so bad. I like mm. lobster bisque. <laughs> <laughs> get it by the ladleful. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's that's the, those that, are the contents of our mailbox. But it's very Thank sweet. Thank you. That means that means a lot to me. Uh, these, these, Thank these, you for that. And that and that watercolor is gorgeous. Yeah, the, I, will, I love I that watercolor. Keep this in a safe yeah. spot. Uh, yeah. anyway, uh, so we'll move to the emails. Thank um, you. We have an email here from mm. GB. <laughs> this is a fun start. Um, mm. the, the title of this letter is Fuck Han Solo. Ah. Um, hello, gentlemen. I want to talk about something controversial. Fuck Forky. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've had quite a number of letters about Forky from Toy Story I, I 4. I opened that can of worms. Yeah, I, will, yeah. I guess I have to eat all the worms. Uh, I mean, sorry, that's not what I meant to talk about today. Okay. Today I want to make a confession that I've been hiding for over 40 years. I'm old enough to remember playing outside with sticks and rocks. I hate Han Solo. He's annoying, consistently complaining, and does nothing but hit on the 15-year-old princess. He's your drunk uncle. She's supposed to be 15? Uh, she's young. I think Carrie Fisher was only 19 when they made the movie. Oh she, the, she, I and never, Mark, I never, she and Mark Hamill were both pretty young when they made the I knew they were young. I didn't know movie. they were playing that young. That's weird. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and Harrison Ford was, I think, he was under 30, so... Yeah, but he was, he, 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 but anyway, it doesn't matter. Well, let's move on. Uh, uh, he's your drunk uncle crashing on the couch, calling you stupid for taking homework seriously, or rolling a spliff <laughs> with the skunkiest dirt weed. I wish he'd stayed in Carbonite. Uh, my question for you, sirs, is there an iconic character in any mm. media that mm. people love and you can't stand, oh. and no Otis from Superman does not count because he's that, not an icon? That is, that is, that is subjective, that is. <laughs> uh, thanks for your hard work, GB. P.S. I rented Torque from Blockbuster. Wow. Oh, gosh, I'm in 2006. What's happening? <laughs> uh, I rented Turk from Blockbuster again. I'm old enough to remember Alf on Primetime. Alf, the TV yeah. series Alf on Primetime. And I listened to the cast and crew commentary on the DVD. During the commentary, they started trashing Fast and Furious for several minutes until Matt Schultz reminded them that he was in Fast and Furious, to which they quickly changed the topic. <laughs> uh, Tork is a is a work of magic. Uh, it's, it's really wonderful. Um, Characters that everybody else likes that you don't. Uh, oh, mm. golly, I'm sure there's plenty of those. Yeah. Uh, I, I've i never been fond of Captain America. Uh, in okay. Co- in comic book or in movie form. Okay. Uh, I started collecting comic books when I was around 12 in the 90s, and uh, when you're hanging around comic book shops, you talk about comic books and superheroes yeah. with other shoppers and friends who meet you there. And the people who read Captain America comics were mocked roundly. Yeah. Uh, Captain America was seen as sort of a 
a dated, uninteresting hero that nobody cared about anymore. Yeah. Uh, they still wrote about him. I guess the, you know the company still wanted to keep him around. Uh, yeah, he was him, an icon. Yeah, him and Thor. The, those were the you got teased for reading. Captain okay, America uh, or Walt Thor. Simonson's run on Thor in like the eighties or whatever was oh, yeah. absolutely goddamn epic. All right, I will. I will listen. I, listen, I actually, I actually grew up reading both of those comics. Uh-huh. Uh, Walt Simonson's run on Thor was awesome. Thor could be really hit or miss, though. I'll tell mm-hmm. you that. Um, Captain America was interesting to me because he was created in the 1940s to be a patriotic mm. propaganda icon. They were like, yeah. I think it was issue He's, number one. The cover is him punching Hitler. Punching Hitler in the chin. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah. honestly, great start. Uh, but uh, what was interesting is he, he was written out. Mm. You know, he just sort of vanished came back when Marvel Comics started bringing back their superheroes. Like, hey, we could bring back Captain America and we could just say he was frozen, do like a man out of time thing. And mm-hmm. they got a little mileage out of that. But over time, in the comics at least, my favorite Captain America stories were ones where, and, and nowadays people would say like, oh, they made Captain America all political. He's Captain of, fucking America. He wears but, an American flag. But, what the fuck do you expect? And my, my favorite Captain America comics were the ones where he actually said that what's going on in America right now is is wrong. Mm. That there are actual systemic problems yeah. that need to be addressed. And there were issues where he abandoned the name Captain America because he was so ashamed of what was going on in this country. Yeah. So I, I think the the name Captain America, the iconography of Captain America, can be a very useful tool if you want to uh, uh, actually undermine that. You can that, that, undermine that, that iconography yeah. and tell something very powerful if you're careful. I've seen them do it really shitty. Oh, like okay. there's this one story where like, turns out they decided Captain America had always been a secret Nazi, and I was like, "Don't do that. That's fucking yeah, terrible." Just, uh, they're just yeah. reaching for stories. At that I, point. I, um, I, I know that they found a way around that after a while, but honestly, that just well, that, 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 just that was something that really frustrated me about one of the Captain America movies, um, mm-hmm. the uh, the one called The Winter Soldier, yeah, where they mm-hmm. they started down that path. It's like mm-hmm. Captain America is in the modern day now. Mm-hmm. He's looking around and seeing that America is kind of horrible now, mm-hmm. and it looked like he was going to find himself at an impasse. It's mm-hmm. like I dressed in the American flag, but I hate America. What do I do? And they backed the way the heck off and s- explained that all of the corruption that he was seeing around him was because of secret bad guys who had infiltrated the mm. government and weren't really Americans. And that felt really dumb to me. I, I thought that was a really bad well, I, twist. The, the argument uh, that you made mm. about that, that I, I personally, I think it's it was fine, but mm. the, the argument that you made was, because the Nazi characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe mm. weren't Nazi Nazis, they were the Red Skull, they were Hydra. Yeah, they were like super yeah. super secret Nazis. You, you, it would have been so much more powerful if you had just said they were actually Nazis. Like that would have yeah, well, that would have been that would have had a lot more weight than were, just uh, our secret kind of Nazi fake yeah, if, Nazi group. Or, or if you know? if if they were Nazis, or if they were just Americans, I think yeah. it would have been a lot more powerful if he discovered that America was merely corrupt. That would put him in this weird moral moral place. Yeah, uh, and. So I, I didn't like that twist, and they never did anything that interesting with the character ever again. I think mm. um, a lot of the criticisms people have about Superman 
that he's uh, like he's kind of overpowered. He's a little too that he's bland because he's, he's uh-huh. never never faces a, a a struggle. I see him as an aspirational figure. Actually, that's I really he, like Superman. That you want those yeah. some of those. They can't. Every yeah. character can't but, uh, be that, but you want someone to look up to. You know. But uh, all of those criticisms about Superman, those are the ones I have about Captain America. I feel mm-hmm. like he's a little too. Uh, too bland of yeah. a character in his righteousness. He doesn't, and uh, I say that because I don't feel like he stands for anything. Mm-hmm. He's blandly righteous in this vague kind of a way. He's yeah. heroic in that action movie kind of way, and I find that to be terribly uninteresting. Uh, in mm. every time I've encountered Captain America, I've just wanted to look the other way. I also don't like the costume. It, it's really tacky looking. Mm. It reminds me of Fourth of July picnics I didn't want to go to. <laughs> Um, I, I'm trying to think of like big pop culture characters who I, I actively don't like, and the thing mm. is, is that usually if they're prominent, <laughs> the cats Dante, are cats are wreaking we, havoc over there. Doing? Okay, we're just gonna. What if we didn't, buddy? Mm. What if we didn't? Um, a lot of the pop culture icons that are so prominent are sort of. Uh, changed over time where different mm. people have different takes on them so there are certain takes I really like and certain takes I don't and I don't really uh, think that's the same thing uh, but one case in, in, that is an example of that is uh, Scarface okay the original Scarface directed by Howard Hawks uh, uh, was a really great early gangster movie yeah like and it was it was a, it was a morality tale it was all about how it's bad but it was just very uh it was very rich, very full of detail, very strong characterization. It was totally awesome. When Brian De Palma remade Scarface mm. uh, into this really exorbitantly long <laughs> crime epic starring... Oh, it's, it's an opera. Starring, Everything's played to the walls. Starring Al Pacino as a Cuban immigrant. Mm. Okay. Uh, he plays it fine. I, I, no, I, he, I, plays I, it, he plays it huge, which mm. admittedly is Pacino's stick. It didn't always... It wasn't always Bettina's day. No, he didn't really start swinging that hard until after Dick Tracy. I would argue Before, Scarface is where we start seeing it. Like well, we yeah, did, this but, is where like this is what I do. But he still did like do. some really understated performance after yeah. Scarface. Yeah. I think after Dick Tracy, yeah. he never gave any mellow performances anymore. Yeah, there's a few, but they're they're like Manglehorn. Like, yeah, they're smaller horn, things. Jeez, yeah. what are you guys doing over there? <laughs> just just they're causing a ruckus. Just wrestling? Okay. Yeah. Um. I'm not a huge... I, I, I don't understand hmm. the absolute obsession some people have with the Al Pacino version of Scarface. Yeah. I don't. I, I, I appreciate that, okay, he lives... Uh, he wants to be rich and powerful. First you get the money, then you get the power. like, And he lives a life of great excess. And I appreciate wanting to live a life of great excess, especially when you don't come from... Not hell, excess. Just you know, when you when you come from poverty, yeah, I can appreciate that. Uh, but um, he's an asshole. <laughs> he's in love with his own sister. Uh-huh. He his life sucks in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. He dies in a terrible fashion. He has terrible taste. Like just his taste uh-huh. in stuff is really bad. Like I don't. I mean, I get it. Like in like I understand. But I've never watched Scarface and been like, I want to put this guy on the wall of my dorm room. 
I know, want people to um, know that Scarface defines. I've never quite understood that. Th- there's uh, we've talked about this before. There's a certain kind of movie, uh, or I guess there are just several movies. It's not a certain yeah. kind. There's just some yeah. films that come along. That tend to be glommed onto by like the college dorm crowd. Well, you're, at and, a certain uh, age, yeah, at a they, cer- there's a certain, certain there's a particular a certain appeal. type of young man in particular, young yeah. males yeah. will um, will gravitate toward a certain kind of powerful character that likes to assert violence. It's a violence fantasy. Often, yeah. a lot of people have violence fantasies. Sure. Uh, non many many nonviolent people have plenty of violent fantasies. That's yeah. why we like horror movies. I think that's why a lot of people like action movies. They just want to see destruction. Sure. They want to see the world torn down a little bit. Well, uh, action is also uh, uh, films about heightened conflict, where it's not but about... But it's not the but, conflict, it's the explosion. But that's that's how heightened the conflict mm. is. The conflict is so heightened mm. that the only way to resolve the conflict is through physical Vi- force. Violent and that means, can be, yeah. And that can take a variety of forms. It could be superpowers, mm. it could be kung fu, it could be war... You know, there's a lot of different things, so it's very visceral. Yeah, conflict yeah. is incredibly visceral in an action movie. Yeah. Uh, so, but uh, but like the, but, the people who uh, the the movie characters who yeah. can assert that violence uh, unapologetically mm-hmm. uh, tend to be gravitated towards. So yeah. you have characters like Alex DeLarge from A Clockwork Orange, mm-hmm. or it, Tyler it, Durden or, from yeah, Fight Club. The, yeah. These are expressly wicked figures. Same yeah. with with Al Pacino, Scarface. Yeah. These are evil people. Yeah, uh, the film makes no bones about that. They yeah. they are declare them to be evil. I think uh, the issue is De Palma and David Fincher and Stanley Kubrick uh, have also made those characters uh, very funny and cool and appealing as yeah. well. So it makes those characters seem really really attractive. I think yeah. in in terms well, of A Clockwork Orange, that's the only way that character is going to work. And the well, only way that movie is going to work is if you add that ironic humor to it. Yeah. That this character is so amoral right. that he finds humor in his own hideous actions. There is a, a, a tendency, hmm. I think, uh, in some people to uh, glom onto someone who is a larger-than-life uh, uh, figure. Vill- villain? Well, yeah. figure. Just figure in, in, their li- in life. Hmm. It could be someone aspirational. It could be... Uh, a villain it could be someone who is a villain but acts like they're doing you a big favor and you know when i think i'm just thinking about this like the type of young people who are like sort of suckered in by the god-awful repulsive rhetoric of someone like andrew tate you know, or or Ben Shapiro, who is a very different kind of figure but like they've got this like I've got all the answers, mm. you know, and there's something about it that it's really gross. And we, it, <laughs> I'm just thinking though, like I, I well, want to. We, we all, but we were talking about aspirational figures, people we yeah. look up to, and if somebody yeah. says they have the answers and they appeal to wherever yeah. we are in that world, yeah. sometimes we're attracted to bad answers, and that's we true. we see that's that true. happen how, all the time online. That's people how it drives. People don't have other outlets. They're not getting other sources of information, so they get drawn into the the laps of monsters. I'd rather not dwell on how depressing that is. I'm curious about one thing, though, because I don't remember if I've ever asked you this question. When you were in college, or Mm -hmm. high school, or comparable uh, times, what posters did you have on your wall? Okay, this is embarrassing. I love it already. I had Deep Space Nine on my wall. That's not embarrassing. That's very very in character. I had... um, Mystery Science Theater, so it was Mike and the Bots with okay. the Mad Scientist in the background. Very cool. And I had uh, Mr. Gumby. 
from Monty Python's Flying Circus. Oh, okay. Those those were my po- those were my Got dorm it. room posters. Yeah. So I was a nerd. Well, well, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't. Uh, much I, didn't, I didn't. I didn't have like the Godard poster. I wasn't no, quite that cool. I didn't, yeah. I didn't have a Godard poster. I had yeah, a, yet. As I, had I, an, I had an cool. Army of Darkness poster. Okay. Uh, I had a Nightmare Before Christmas poster. All right. I had a Texas Chainsaw Massacre poster. All right. All right. Uh, I, and I had one more. Was it? I had. I. I never. It was. I thought it was really cool. I had a poster from Train Spotting, but uh-huh. it wasn't the movie poster. It was like a special, like after movie came out poster, and the poster was just the opening monologue, the Choose Life monologue. Oh yeah. yeah. And like the Train Spotting like font against mm-hmm. that like gray background. So that was. Um, I think that's it. I'm probably forgetting another. I think I had at least one more poster, yeah. but I can't remember now. Uh, I, I I didn't have really hip posters. I guess my t-shirts were a little better. I'd like X Files stuff. Um, yeah, uh, X Files not that much hipper. But uh, hey, that was a very popular was, show when we were in high school and college. That's true. There there was a very mainstream uh, here in in Los Angeles, down in Santa Monica, California. There's a, the, that shopping district, the Third Street Promenade, mm-hmm. and uh, back in the '90s, there was a, a head shop called Mayhem. Mm. It's where you go for your bongs. Excuse me, your tobacco pipes. If you <laughs> use the word bong, you would be asked to leave. Mm-hmm. This, the rules were pretty strict at the time. You, you can um, get a uh, on 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 Amazon if you wanted a uh, a vape battery. They don't sell vape batteries, but they do sell like portable soldering iron batteries. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and, and they can, like the Q and A is like very like if I really wanted to to solder all night long while watching <laughs> Speed Racer. <laughs> Will this do the job? And they're just like, this is a hand-powered soldering iron. But yes. <laughs> but uh, but they had all the cool posters. They had like, you know, Jodorowsky posters and Eraserhead yeah. and stuff. And I didn't have the wherewithal to buy the posters, but I had plenty of t-shirts. So yeah. I had an Eraserhead t-shirt. I had a Hellraiser t-shirt, um, which, you know, I just wore to school. Nobody ever gave me guff. Uh, and I did have that Army of Darkness poster, the painted one. Oh, yeah. Where he's, he's like, he's got the chainsaw. And he's all buff. Yeah, it looks yeah. like Boris Viejo. That, that's that's a pretty cool poster. Yeah. I that on a t-shirt. A classic. I think I might still have that in a closet somewhere. It's all it's all chewed up. <laughs> well, and what do you have right now, William? I have, okay. This, I don't have a lot, but I have a few. Uh, we actually have a few posters throughout the apartment. Some are mine. Some are uh, my partner, M. Lopez de Silva's. Um, I have a Troop Beverly Hills. Okay. Uh, a very nice painted Mondo poster of Mad Max Fury Road, which I don't really go in for that, uh, the Mondo thing very often because I don't have that much space, but I really like that one. I thought mm-hmm. it was really pretty. Uh, I have, uh, you, you got this for me and you got it framed, mm-hmm. a gorgeous premium rush poster. <laughs> yep. Really, really solid. And I got a few other posters lying around that I keep meaning to frame or whatever like that, but I honestly have nowhere to put them right mm-hmm. now. We also have elsewhere in our apartment, we have a Phantom of the Paradise poster, uh, and I think we have a Zombie 2 poster. Okay. Yeah. yeah. In in uh, in my apartment right now, um, my, my wife has put up all the cool posters, because she's a, a, a rock scholar. She knows yeah. all the cool bands, so she has a big U2 uh, tour poster. She's a good, big fan of Neil Finn. Mm. Uh, but right now we have um, Rashomon. Mm. Uh, when uh, Criterion put it out, it's got that really cool painting with Tishiro Mifune, like split into four sections. Yeah. And uh, and we have Jean Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast. So yeah. we got some Criterion posters very, very in, nice. in, in, in the room. Uh, we should move on. What other yeah. what other letters we got? Uh, let's see here. Um, this one comes from uh, C, letter C. Hi, C. Hello, C. Uh, dear Gentles, 
While the world celebrates the Mario supremacy, <laughs> the first family movie since December, and the film pundits throw out ideas into the nether why it's making so much money, I have a semi-related question. Hmm. Uh, first, I'd like to give a little context. I work in a movie theater. Okay. And brother. We, we've uh, all done it. Yeah. I've worked in movie theaters for like 20 years. Um, I, I worked in video stores a lot more than I worked in movie theaters, but yeah, um, I've, I've done the gig. Uh, there is there's a slight corporate ruling, slight corporate ruling that we sometimes sometimes follow, where rated R movies are not supposed to have posters next to PG or kid movies. Okay. With limited space, one would assume it would be annoying to separate so many posters from one another, but that hasn't been the case uh, because most of the movies these days. Naturally, one of the questions I've been constantly asking while doing this task for the last year is, where are all the PG rated movies mm. or any family movies for that matter? Yeah. Uh, this year in particular, there's been a lot of R-rated movies, uh, most of which have attracted the teenage crowd, whose parents don't want to bond with their kid and watch the movie with them. This year alone, we've had uh, Trouble at the Theater with Scream 6, Cocaine Bear, Renfield, John Wick 4, and now Evil Dead Rise. At my work, as of 424, we are showing one unrated movie, nine R-rated movies, three PG-13 rated movies, and one PG-rated movie, and that's Mario. Right. And it's PG. It's a PG. I, I d- it's Mild Mario. Peril? Like, I, I would take a four-year-old to see Mario. I, we're at a point now where we might as well get rid of the PG rating. Or the G rating. Eh, I think we just... We, mm. let, we'll talk about this mm. one. Let's finish the uh, of, of the PG-13 movies, we offer Suzume, the anime film, mm-hmm. Chevalier, which aims, which is aimed toward adults, mm-hmm. and Dungeons & Dragons, which is the closest we have to a family movie. It's a four-quadrant. Yeah. It's supposed to appeal to everybody, um, yeah. With summer blockbuster season coming up, we're sure to get more PG-13 movies with The Flash, mm-hmm. Fast X, Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. But the PG-13 uh, blockbusters, I'd argue, are not family films. They're crowd pleasers, with mm-hmm. adults as the focal point. Uh, Fast and Furious and Mission Impossible fran- franchises both have stars in their halfway, th- their halfway there phase of life. Guardians appeal more towards kids, but again, uh, the mm-hmm. audience is 30s and 40s, and the Flash... It's not, argue, it's not for little kids. Yeah. And the Flash, uh, the mean mean age of the crowd seems to be around, around 18, if not the 20s, but the movie looks like it'll be heavy and not for kids either way. Right. Yeah, little kids don't want to see those. Mm. Yeah, I, have an, I, I have an eight-year-old. He has no interest in seeing Spider-Man or Iron Man or any of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just find it interesting that in the landscape of theaters, the relatable entertainment for kids has defaulted to animated. Hollywood yeah. only cares about people old enough to have a wallet and feels gross that movies out today are so lopsided in target audience. Uh, I know a lot of family entertainment has switched to streaming. Uh, this week, there is a new Peter Pan movie on Disney+. Plus. But when was the last time you heard of someone talk about a streaming movie for families months after it was released? Mm. Streaming's job is to promote what's new and bury what's old. Uh, what are your thoughts on theatrical family entertainment? The Mario movie proves that families want to come out. The R-rated movies are stuff teens are interested in but aren't old enough to go to. PG-13 has big-budget franchises that have been around for decades or smaller films ge- geared towards adults. Do we need to change how ratings are made? Yes, we do. Are younger people audi- younger audience members growing bored of PG tentpoles? As always, your insight is appreciated. See. Uh, if there's one thing I know for certain, mm-hmm. and I... Don't understand why this isn't better understood. Uh, family movies make money. Not every family movie makes money. Mm. But if you can make a family movie that kids really want to see. Mm. I don't know many, if any, parents nowadays who drop their younger kids off at a theater. Mm. That was the thing that used to happen. you drop like your 10-year-old off at a theater and you come back in a couple hours and you're done yeah. at the mall. Uh 
I don't think that's a thing people do anymore. No, I think people I was, are way more protective of their kids now. Uh, my my sister, who was like seven at the time, took me into a movie when mm-hmm. she, when I was four. Yeah, and we didn't go with a grown up. We just went to the movies on our own. Right, but nowadays it's it's a lot more common to if a kid goes to a movie and a kid wants to see a movie that only they want to see, they're not buying a ticket for themselves. The whole family's going. Yeah. At least one parent, probably a parent, maybe another parent, maybe a sibling or two, a friend from school. And this is one of the reasons why family-friendly movies tend to do really big numbers if they have any appeal whatsoever. Yeah, and, and also um, little kids like yeah. to watch movies multiple again and times. Again. Yeah. again and again, exactly. They might pay to so, see it multiple times in the theater. They might, oh, you're seeing it this weekend, can I come too? And then they do really, really well on home video. We've all, either when we were kids or we know people who have kids or we have kids of our own, we know that there's like a video or DVD or a streaming thing or whatever, or YouTube even, that just gets watched over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah. It's it's comforting. We learn from it. We learn how people communicate. We learn how, uh, uh, we learn how to talk to one another. We learn how to emote. Um, it makes sense. Uh, it is nothing short of absurd that there aren't more family-friendly movies in theaters. People want them. uh, Not everyone wants them, but that's the whole point. Not every movie is for everybody. Yeah, that's... I'm a parent. My son just turned eight. Yeah. And he's seen Mario. He wanted to see Mario. He doesn't like movies very much. But he likes video games. So Mario was was a crossover appeal. He wanted to see them. Did he like Mario? Uh, He liked it fine. Good. Uh, if, you, if you ask him point blank if he likes a movie, he'll say no. But if you ask yeah. him like details about it, he'll he'll get into it. Yeah, but he, he, um, it, was, it was for him. It's fine. Uh, you want more of these kids' movies in theaters. You, you want to get kids together and you want to take them to the movies because that's a good activity. It takes up a you lot wanna of time. You want to get out of the house and you want to do something uh, that your kids can enjoy. And you can and, hopefully enjoy with them, but at the very least, yeah. something for them. It's not going to mess them up. It's not mm-hmm. going to traumatize them. It's not going to uh, bring up a topic you're really not ready to talk about yet. <laughs> you know, and and to some extent, some, that's what some conservatives are complaining about. But mm-hmm. I'm not talking about that shit. I'm not. I'm talking about hey, why did everyone die? Well, mm-hmm. death is complicated. I don't really want to. You know, <laughs> not the same thing. Yeah. Um. I. I don't understand what has caused the contraction of family cinema. I don't, know. Uh, I don't understand why so many studios are afraid to have films that are rated G. Yeah. Uh, they. The problem is what has come to. This is something that's sort of leaked into the conversation, and um, a kind of horrible person pointed this out to me, John Kay, uh, who, yeah. who created the, the Ren and Snippy show. He's, he's, he's a super a, gross he, man. He's a creep, yeah. but uh, yeah. he, he did make this point. Um, uh a lot of kids' media uh, used to be funny. Used to be yeah. comedy shows. A lot of comedy really. A lot, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of slapstick, a lot of humor, a lot of yeah. jokes, a lot of uh, really wild Hanna Barbera, yeah. you know. Yeah, Hanna Barbera, those were all yeah. sitcoms. Those were all comedy shows. Yeah, basically. Uh, at some point, and this happened in the 1980s, uh, cartoons got a hold of cool. And we saw, started seeing more and more entertainment featuring uh, more adults, like violent flippant hip talking characters. Well, I, I think I think we really hit like a, a weird crest in the eighties when they started making animated TV shows out of R rated movies like Rambo and Robocop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a weird decision. Mm. That's a choice. And it it, it 
and I understand why the kids would be appealed. Sure. Would, uh, that would I, appeal to I, the kids because because ki- kids want to feel a little bit more adult. They yeah. want to feel more mature than they are, so they watch something that might feel a little bit more sophisticated than you know a, a comedy film. Sure. Uh, you know, little kids were watching Muppet Babies, mm-hmm. but that's not cool. It was not cool. No. Um, and as time has passed, that cool has just continued to proliferate throughout entertainment to the point where I think even young kids have been taught that seeing kid-friendly entertainment isn't cool enough anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they want to go for something a little bit more sophisticated. If you want something uh, that is uncool... It's, it's almost like you have to do it at home so you don't share it with friends. Yeah. Something to be almost a little bit embarrassed about. Yeah. Uh, and like and the idea so of, yeah. I, I think that it's just this sort of general cultural vibe that little kids are now concerned with looking cool in front of their, their well, peers. There's also and that. really gentle or humorous mm-hmm. uh, kid-friendly entertainment is now anathema to them. Yeah. I think that I think regardless of whether like a family friendly movie will sell a bunch of tickets to, like the families and stuff, um, I think a lot of I think it's, I think is where the PG comes into play. Mm. I think a lot of studios are nervous about releasing a film that a random adult or people like on a date wouldn't want to go to. Mm. Uh, so hence a G gets jacked up to a PG. Mm. It's just got it. There might be an F word yeah, in this Mario movie. There well, might be I just think, one uh... F word. Just. <laughs> Ah, I, fucking I, bullet bob i'm pretty Hate sure i'm pretty sure though uh that's why most of these big tentpole blockbusters yeah. are pg-13 rated exactly uh some of them could easily be r-rated they're all super violent yeah uh but but it's gentle violence we're gonna kill a bunch of people but it's okay they're mm-hmm. robots if we yeah. rip rend apart a lot of human-shaped beings you know it's okay because they're robots right and, uh but if if you heard that you know Avengers Endgame mm-hmm. was going to be rated PG, a lot of people would be a little little cautious about that. Yeah, it's like no, I want a lot of mayhem in in this movie. Yeah. It needs to be hip enough. It needs to have just enough adolescent appeal to mm. c- carry through what I want out of this movie. Uh, just for the sake of uh, just keeping trying to keep some context is what the multiplex is like this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to give and I'm gonna I'm gonna leave out smaller films which may or may not be on my radar yet uh but for major temple releases that i don't i don't think all of them have ratings yet but these appear to be the family friendly films that are coming out in theaters throughout the summer i might miss one and i'm gonna leave out anything with superheroes because that's more of a four quadrant thing even the animated spider-man across the spider-verse but boom there i mentioned it you're welcome uh in may we've got disney's the little mermaid remake Alright. Alright. That'll probably be in the PG range. I'd be weirded out if it was PG thirteen. Uh we've got Pixar's Elemental. Alright. That's coming, I think, in June. Uh we've got fun name. I actually don't know anything about this one yet. It's an animated DreamWorks movie called Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken. I've seen posters for that. That's one, a yeah. fun title. I, if I were and a kid, it is, be in, it is about sea creatures. So yeah, yeah. Here's a live action one coming out. Uh, it's a live action movie based on the children's book Harold and the Purple Crayon. Oh, does that sound promising? Favorite of that's many, a good many idea. children. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, uh, I don't know where exactly the tone of this is going to be and how much it's more for adults who grew up with it or for kids who are enjoying it now. Uh, but Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Okay. I'm sure is 
maximum PG thirteen. It's got to be PG. I would hope they are not going to release a a Barbie movie rated PG thirteen. Right? It'd be weird. They did that with the Transformers, I guess, but I don't think Transformers is an action show though. Like Barbie, but little kids would still want to see Transformers. I'm pretty sure anything mature going on in a Barbie movie, you could Mm. hide behind some layers of 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 subtext, you know, nuance or entendre. Yeah, but I'm 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 hopeful for that movie because I've loved everything Greta Gerwig's done so far. It's like I, I I'm interested in Greta Gerwig, but yeah, yeah it's like can can it shake off the weird commercialism? Uh, and then lastly, this one could be in the PG range, although it could skew PG thirteen depending on how uh, hardcore they want to take it. Uh, but Disney has a new Haunted Mansion movie coming out later this summer, directed right. by Justin Simeon, which is an interesting mm. choice. So um, I I don't know how scary they're going to try to make that. Are they going to make it PG thirteen scary or? Or, you know, hard R, but, like, <laughs> probably PG or yeah. PG-13. That one might skew PG-13, but mm. I'll mention it just out of out, out yeah. of respect. Um, yeah. Yeah, the G rating is is dead. Like, Kinda, uh, there's been, like, five yeah. G-rated movies in the last decade. They're really, really rare. Yeah. Well, we're talking about um, major releases, obviously. The, yeah, theatrical, like, major yeah, theatrical they don't, releases. They don't really make those. Um, I think something happened when a lot of animation moved away from cell to CGI, mm. cell animation. Um, it became a little too real in cg like the textures were a little bit more realistic the spaces were a little bit more realistic I, I, and uh yeah. and i think when somebody gets smashed a cgi character gets like mm-hmm. smashed by a rock that reads as violence more than if bugs mm. bunny gets smashed no, by a rock. i i read that far more as what shrek hath wrought mm. because shrek and the mature you know adult oriented comedy not like r-rated but you know mm. quote-unquote subversive pop culture jokes kind of thing Shrek was the kind of movie that could be a kid's movie, but it could also be a date movie. Yeah. You know, it was a comedy that appealed to adults. It undermined some stuff. It felt like you were going to see a cool happening thing. Yeah, t- teenagers would see that without be- getting embarrassed. Exactly. Yeah. And I think a lot of, uh, in the wake of Shrek, regardless of whether or not it was CG, because sadly, so much of American cinema, when there's whenever there's a new technical innovation, they just want to throw out all the old tech. Yeah. So we mostly got CG stuff and we were going to do that anyway. Yeah. So, anyway. We should move on, though, because it's been a long conversation. But, yeah, lots to talk about there. All right. um, here's a letter from Andrew. Hi, Hi Andrew. Andrew. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Good evening. Hello. Uh, it's been a while since my last letter. I still vividly remember your replies to my letters about the change in tone for American-made war films ah. uh, between World War II, Vietnam, and Iraq slash Afghanistan. And uh, one talking about metal music and films, about the music itself can help with the story. Uh, the script I mentioned in that letter allowed me to play the music during a table raid. Hmm. Uh, over the years since those letters, my life has taken some inspiring turns. Oh. I'm back in school for a bachelor's degree in creative writing. Good for you. That's off, great. Uh, exploring different avenues of the medium. Uh, my biggest life change came three years ago when I re-engaged with my faith and oh. became a born-again Christian. Oh, well, good for you. Uh, muzzle tough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm Methodist, so I don't know yeah. what I'm doing. But um, yeah. uh, since that day, I've had a lot of fun watching movies and looking for their impact from a Christian worldview. Hmm. Uh, an immediate favorite became Hacksaw Ridge. And yeah. It has been fun revisiting films and seeing different elements of them. I've gotten into anime over the past year and found quite a few Christian themes uh, running in the long-running and popular One Piece. Oh. Do, do you know One Piece at all? I know of it. I've only mm. watched like one or two right. episodes. I don't really follow it. It's, um, it's, it's a lot. It's a huge thing to suddenly start watching yeah. tons of it. Uh, listening back through your critically acclaimed in Letters podcast, you both talked highly about the 2019 film A Hidden Life. 
Mm. Oh, I love Hidden Life. Yeah, Whitney and, loves and, it. I like it a lot. I think right. it's great. But and uh, mentioned the Christian themes in that film, uh, which I've yet to see, but is high on my watch list. What are some films that you've caught some Christian or religious undertones or themes mm. that did not come across as too aggressive or preachy? Mm. That's the key. That's the uh, trick. Yeah. Uh, I'm weary about watching the God's Not Dead franchise or other yeah. films that are very open and aggressive with pushing Christianity. I've yet to see the newer film Jesus Revolution, but from the trailers, it does, doesn't does feel like an overzealous film. Yeah. I'm excited to hear your thoughts and feel comfortable sending this type of letter to you, both because I value your insights in film and how they uh, both impact and reflect the world we live in. Uh, thanks for taking my letter. It's great to be writing to you again. Yours truly, Andrew. Um yeah, there's, yeah uh, Christianity is one of the biggest driving cultural forces on the planet and has well, been for the last nearly 2,000 years. There, oh, thereabouts. Um, yeah, so whether or not you believe in Christianity, yeah. I happen not to, Whitney mm-hmm. does, uh, Methodist, but, you mm-hmm. know, in general, um, we have to reckon with it. It's yeah, certainly fair uh, game, you know? So yeah, uh, When it comes to uh, Christian art... yeah. You can talk about Christian art in the terms of, like, the interior of a Catholic church. Mm-hmm. All the, you know, the glittering icons and the, all the candles. It's all mm-hmm. very over-decorated. Well, it's also very um, overt. We're not, yeah. It's not subtle at all. Look at the Christian-ness. Yeah, the, uh, a, a Catholic friend of mine said they have to decorate the church uh, so they can lure God inside. <laughs> uh, wouldn't come into an ugly building. Sure, uh, yeah, sure. Th- that was her joke. Um, but, uh, yeah, you, you go to a Methodist church, it's all very brown and square and very kind of... Mm-hmm black box kind of uh, interiors when it comes to Christian entertainment though like modern day Christian cinema Mm -hmm. there are films about Christian themes that talk about Christianity as a philosophy or talk about Christianity as a a functionary uh, bureaucracy those tend to be the more interesting Mm -hmm. stories okay the ones that sell Christianity as the cure-all or uh, mm-hmm. the solving factor in a person's life yeah. tend to be a lot less interesting because that's where you get to proselytize. Well, it's also oversimplification uh, of yeah, everything, yeah. and so dramatically it's not very interesting. Yeah, so when all you're waiting for is somebody to discover, uh, you know, to be born again, to discover yeah. Christianity, and all of a sudden all of their problems are solved. And dramatically that's not satisfying, and realistically that's not real. Yeah. Uh, Christianity doesn't solve all your problems. You know, there's a lot more practical things to consider. Mm-hmm. Um so when it comes to sort of the philosophical edge, people who give of themselves in a Christian fashion mm-hmm. go to Babette's Feast. Uh, sure. That's a wonderful movie. Sure. If you're interested in films that are a little bit more ambivalent about Christianity, watch the works of Ingmar Bergman. Mm-hmm. He was raised in Christian churches, didn't quite believe in it, but understood the philosophy to the point and understood that it kind of infiltrated his heart in a way that he could never truly escape. Uh, watch his Silence of God trilogy. Mm. Uh, that's Through a Glass Darkly, Winter Light, which is the most celebrated, and right. one called The Silence. Those are about people who have faith but don't always necessarily have all of their faith. Um, Terrence Malick has gotten really more Christian as his his uh, films have mm-hmm. gone on. Yeah. Uh, the Tree of Life is very kind of spiritual, but if you go to the one he made right after called To the Wonder, that's a little mm. bit more explicitly Christian. Sure. And there's actually a, a, a clergy character in that movie. It's played yeah. by um, it's, uh, Javier Bardem, if I recall. And um, I think you're right. You have memories there. It's been a while. And uh, that movie is very much about how both love and faith mm. kind of, they're like the tide. They wash in and they cover you, but sometimes they wash out and they're not close to you anymore. Right. Um, 
And I think that's a very healthy way to look at it. I yeah. think human beings are very mutable, and Do the Wonder really explores that. And A Hidden Life is about how uh, Christianity is actually a, an expressly pacifist philosophy. Right. Uh, it's not about fighting wars. The, 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 ter- the term onward Christian soldiers marching as to war, as if you might be going to war. Don't be, don't actually war, go to war. It's a metaphor. Yeah. Uh, a Hidden Life is about someone who sticks by his Christian principles and refuses to fight. Yeah. And that is, and how difficult that is for everyone else around him to accept. Uh, Hacksaw Ridge, I find a little less interesting because that one is trying to be about pacifism, but then in the last act isn't. The last it actually, actually exploits it, the it, visual. It, tur- it turns into yeah. just this like slam bang action. It, it wants you to be you thrilled how, by the violence, yeah, which how, is something how, that how which cool is, the war. Which is something that frustrated is. me about uh, leaving Mel Gibson's other mm. stuff aside. It's also frustrated me about his Passion of the Christ. Mm. I get it; it's a passion play. That's part of yeah. a lot of Christian traditions to really yeah, focus yeah. on but the. It's, the, it's the, more of a Catholic thing. It's yeah. more of a Catholic thing, but it, like the idea of a passion play is that it is expressly about. Uh, what Jesus went through in his martyrdom, the very mm. last thing that he did before mm. his resurrection, all that other stuff. But like, it's, <laughs> if the resurrection, but, but, but that's kind of what the passion play is saying. Yeah, it's I all know. about this this part it's where it's all about it's all about, all about, about the his suffering. He, yeah. Oh, look at all the suffering he did for you, and that's very I call it passive aggressive, but I think it's just aggressively mm. just trying to shame you mm. into saying, you know, this man you, suffered and it was for you. Yeah, right? so you have to do this now. There's mm. something very. Very insulting about the violence and the emphasis on violence in that mm. movie to me, but again, I come from a, from a different perspective. I, I I was raised kind of Catholic. My parents mm. were both kind of Catholic, but by the time it trickled down to me, I kind of ended up an agnostic and then mm. eventually an atheist. Mm. Um, but I appreciate a good Christian stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, for me, the kind of Christian movies that tend to interest me are. Uh, I'm totally fine if there's just it's a movie about Christian stuff and it's just really well made. Mm. Uh, there was a pretty good Jesus movie that came out a few years ago uh, that I went to. You know, it was during a wave of not very good Christian movies, but yeah. then we saw I think it was like Son of God. Uh, there was actually mm. like a pretty good biopic of young Jesus. Oh, like, there yeah. was. Um, it was based on the Anne Rice book. Or no, that was no, no. Different oh, that, that was. I think that was just called the Young Christ. Oh, maybe if that's yeah. what I'm thinking of. But that was pretty good. Mm. Um, but I think there there are two kinds of, of Christian movies. I think there are uh, allegorically Christian movies where mm. if you're not Christian, you can appreciate its messages of faith or belief or whatever without necessarily tying it directly into Christianity. But if you are Christian, you can also interpret it through that lens. A movie I think of, for example, is a movie called Gravity. Mm. Uh, Gravity is, is one of my favorite movies of the 2010s. I really, really loved it. Uh, and it is... It's an... It's... A disaster movie in which Sandra Bullock is an astronaut and there's like a debris field flying through space at high speeds, destroys the space station that she's on, and never before has anyone in the universe been so screwed. Mm. And the movie ultimately comes down to why keep going if there's no hope? And you find the hope. You find something, Mm. some semblance that there's a reason to go on, whether it's within you or in the goodness of others. You can totally see that as a Christian thing, and that's totally valid. Or you can just see that as that's. I look at it as an interventionist film for people who mm. are having thoughts about whether or not the world is just living is just too hard, mm. regardless of whether or not you're yeah, in outer space. There, and there I think is, it works on both yeah. levels. Yeah, I, I, in Gravity, um, 
one of her lines of dialogue is no one taught me how to pray. Yeah. There's a lot of close-ups of like uh, the astronauts who did carry like religious iconography sure. with them. So yeah, there's a lot of like faith imagery in that. But one. it's not hitting yeah. you over the head with the actual faith part. Then there are movies that are expressly about Christianity. And mm-hmm. I think those can those can be really really great too. Um a movie I just saw, actually. It's coming out this week. I'm going to review it in the next episode of Critically Acclaimed. Uh, it's a movie called Big George Foreman. It's about George Foreman. It's about George Foreman, the uh, two-time heavyweight champion of the world in boxing. Uh, a guy who led a really interesting life. Whether or not the movie is good, he led an interesting life. And what was interesting about the movie, to me, is that uh, the, the director, I think it was George Tillman Jr., uh, the first half of the movie is a very standard biopic, you know, mm. the kind of kind of full of cliches. Here's rags yeah. riches, whatever. But George Foreman's career wasn't just he had a hard life. He became heavyweight champion. He had a hard life, became heavyweight champion, lost it in the most dramatic fashion possible, <laughs> to the point where there have been movies made about the guy who beat him, and then found God, okay. and then became a preacher. And then lost everything again, and then built himself back up as a boxer who also had his faith in his corner. So, like, the first half of the movie is standard biopic stuff. Then it turns into a Christian movie for a while, as his story becomes about his faith. Okay. And I thought that was an interesting way to handle that. As well, not, if, it's if not, it's from his perspective, then is. that's how it, the things it would be focusing and like there's, on. There's a few discussions, you know, mm-hmm. grace at the table, that kind of thing. But it's not about the Christian stuff until it was about the Christian stuff to him. Yeah. And that makes it seem like even with, if you're a Christian, you might really, really dig that movie for that reason. Mm-hmm. But even if you're not, it's not hitting over the head with it at the beginning and you can actually sort of appreciate it when it comes along and how it is relevant to his particular story. Yeah. I thought that was a good Um, way to handle it. Um, there was that wave throughout like the early two thousands when, uh, a lot of Christian entertainment was becoming really, really big and it all sucked. It was horrendous. It was not just badly made, but it had bad messaging. I think it peaked in like uh, the 2010s more than the 2000s. Maybe so. And that's, that's where you getting... get to the God's Not Dead stuff. Yeah. Uh, these were movies uh, full of straw men. Yeah. They were meant to... They were meant Bic- to perpetuate the idea of mm. modern Christian persecution. Yeah, that, that Christians yeah. are being persecuted by some system out there. Yeah. And... Uh, it will only be by their faith that they will prevail. And of course, the bad guys were always these snarling villains. Mm-hmm. Um, God's Not Dead is specifically about uh, an atheist professor who... Played by uh, Kevin Sorbo. Uh, God. And, and he, like, he insists that his class say so, they like, like all say that God is dead. He's teaching and, um, a philosophy class, and it's like, we're not going to involve a religion in here, so I want everyone to agree that God is dead, and we'll just move mm-hmm. on. And one heroic Christian says, well, I don't agree with that, mm-hmm. and I will prove it to you by hijacking your entire class for the semester. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that's that's a rough film, man. Yeah, well, and and it it's yeah. it, and then the it, it, was, was it lets the the yeah. Christian student become the hero, standing up against this villainous professor. Yeah, that, that sort of thing doesn't happen in a philosophy class. You're going to discuss philosophy, uh-huh. uh, religious and non-religious. Yeah, Age of Enlightenment and you know, or yeah, and if the, and early if, action, and if that if, kind if of shit wanna... did happen, that's just one shitty teacher. It's not a yeah. system. It's yeah, you're not being yeah. oppressed. Um, yeah. And there's also this uh, this sense of. Uh, cruelty and exclusion that comes in with uh-huh. a lot of that Christian cinema. Uh, they're all expressly anti-queer, which, you know, yeah. bugs the fuck out of me. Yeah. Uh, and 
at, at the same time, they're trying to, like in the, the uh, what was it, um, Left Behind, yeah. where uh, the rapture happens, mm-hmm. all the good Christians ascend, yeah. and all of those poor souls that are left behind mm-hmm. get Immediately to realize wallow we in their shame, and they get to see how yeah. wrong they were. It, and, yeah. and this is for a Christian audience who mm-hmm. get to sort of gloat. Yeah, it's, it's schadenfreude. Yeah, you were right, uh, you were wrong, yeah. and now we get to look, and now your suffering is entertainment. And, and that sucks. That, that gloating, I, at, at that best, glo- it's supposed to scare you into becoming a Christian. At worst, it's you're a Christian and you're enjoying watching the suffering of others. Which that's, is the least Christian thing horrible. you can do. It's, it's, uh, not, yeah. it's not great, man. Yeah. So a, a lot of those evangelical movies yeah. are just, just complete garbage. Right. Uh, but the thing is, is though... It's, it's not that they're Christian. There are mm-hmm. good movies about the Christian philosophy. Sure. Uh, in fact, you'll find that in most mainstream entertainments. Be kind to yeah, others. <laughs> a lot of a lot of the baseline, more positive Christian values mm. can be found in a lot of things. And sometimes you'll see filmmakers try to really shoehorn them in. Mm. Like, oh, we'll make a Superman movie, but he's kind of like Christ. Not really. He's really more like Moses. He, he was, he was the, literally it's the Moses more, story. It's literally yeah. the Moses story. He's in the raft and he gets sent, raised by other people. Like, Carl L is... Yeah. is Hebrew, <laughs> yeah, like, like it, that's you're, you're you're just really messing it up. It's pretty baseline shit if you think about it. But um, yeah, you can find it in a lot of different places. It's just a matter of whether or not it is overt. Are they overtly talking about Christianity? And you know what? Honestly, a lot of movies would probably benefit from having characters who talked more openly about their principles and the things that matter to them. Because if you're talking to another human being for any length of time, whether they discuss it in the terms of their religion or their philosophy or their politics, eventually you're going to find out who they are Mm. and what they care about and what matters to them. And I would like to have more media where characters who are, you know, adults have an ethos that they have come upon organically or that they have adopted through research or study... Uh, talk about what matters to them. Because I feel like we don't do that enough without yelling. Mm. I mean, granted, some people are just bigots and absolutely should be shouted down, but like, there's <laughs> there's also actual conversations we can have. And it's just, I feel like there's been a general dumbing down mm. in narrative fiction, uh, at the very least in, in movie theaters, uh, that... Um, yeah, it could definitely be done in a much more nuanced manner without just hitting us over the head with it or letting it be really subtextual. Mm. So anyway, we should move on. But that was a big yeah. that was a big topic. That's a good one. Um, hopefully, hopefully they did okay with that. Uh, here's a letter from Governor Storm. Hello, Governor. Nice. Um, hey guys, long time listener, first time writing in. Hello. Love it. Love it when you write in. Thank you. Um, I was thinking about the future of film. Mm. while listening to another podcast, and something stuck out to me. Some of the highest-grossing and audience-praised films of 2022, including Avatar The Way of Water, Top Gun Maverick, Mm. Puss in Boots The Last Wish, and RRR. Uh, While I didn't get to see Puss in Boots, I think this still works. One thing they all seem to have in common is a sincerity. Mm -hmm. They don't undermine their emotional moments. Rather, they take the emotions seriously. The tone feels different to me. I think the Marvel quip machine overload, combined with the events of the last eight or so years in the real world, uh, 
in so many domains of life, like health, politics, and technology, have made life feel short and more high stakes. The yep. world feels more dangerous than it has before. I would add Spider-Man No Way Home to this list as well. Mm-hmm. I'll be eagerly waiting to see what comes in the next film. What do you think? Are we moving into an era of sincerity and emotional honesty, or am I off base with this take? I can't wait to hear back from you on this. Signed, Governor Storm. P.S. I shot this off while on my phone on my lunch break, so sorry for the messy ramblingness mm. of it all. I was fine, it's clear. Uh... Uh, PPS, thank you both so much for your amazing work. I've taken a chance on so many films based on your recommendations, oh, including The Hunt, The Ooh. Purge, the 2022 version of Father of the Bride. You saw that one. Okay. What's Up Doc? That's great. Yep. Uh, Game Night. That's hilarious. Awesome. And many more. Some I have bought sight unseen based on your good word. Wow, anyway, thank thanks, you. fellas. Live long and prosper. And there's a little, um, uh, a little Spock, a little Vulcan salute emoji. Thank you for that. Um, um, I, I've, I've sensed the opposite happening. Mm. Uh, in the, the 2000s there, and I blame millennials <laughs> for this, because because I'm, I'm, I I thought it was Gen for Y. we don't blame on millennials? I blame everything on the slack. millennials. Um, I'm, I called myself Gen Y, but I was kind of folded into Gen X a little bit later. Yeah. And uh, the Gen X thing was all about self-awareness, irony, deconstruction. Uh, yeah. That was, those were... Big, Scream. Yeah, Scream was a great yeah, example the, the, of this. Yeah. Uh, films that were essays about themselves. There was yeah. a lot of uh, sort of uh, well, winking uh, uh, irony about uh, old systems that uh, had failed us. And rather than simply yeah. abandoning them systems, sometimes we did. We just mm-hmm. abandoned old systems. Or we'd go back to them uh, and kind of made fun of them from inside. And, and this took uh, a lot of different forms. Mm-hmm. We saw it in everything from uh, Clerks mm-hmm. to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, these, uh, these to, char- yeah. characters who are very aware mm-hmm. that they're in kind of an extreme situation. Pulp Fiction, a lot of yeah. characters talking about mm. Pulp Fiction and the, yeah, be, yeah, the yeah. movies they watch, that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. That was uh, that was the the metier of, of Generation yeah. X. And it was and pretty then, novel at the time. It, it was novel when it got us through, and that yeah. was sort of the general attitude of the people who were watching it. So we all loved it, and yeah. um, and then at some point in. Around, around uh, September 2001. Uh, September 2001, mid-September 2001, some dramatic events happened. Yeah. And uh, and all of a sudden, that kind of uh, taking the piss... Got a little gauche. Yeah, well, it wasn't as much fun as it once was. No, because all of a sudden, uh, we remembered that a lot. some things in life are genuinely serious. Yeah. yeah. And th- certain things, certain uh, types of action sequences, for example, that we took for granted, uh, just became a little too real and we couldn't distance yeah, ourselves a, we couldn't we couldn't pu- pull ourselves back and laugh at it the way mm-hmm. we used to there was a movie, realized there was uh, realness involved there was a movie that came out in 1996 it was called independence day yeah uh and it was sold the the teaser trailer before they released the full trailer was a shot of the white house being blown up by a space laser yeah uh, and that was like, come check this out. This is entertainment. This, and that and that and that was a cheer moment. Everybody stood yeah. up and cheered when they saw the White House getting blown up. Yeah, in it was it was it was epic. Yeah. That's for sure. But it's also fucked up. Yeah. And a lot of like when like uh, uh, a lot of the actual imagery in that movie, if you go back to it, when the aliens like yeah, attack, blowing they're blowing up like a one building. They're blowing yeah. up a skyscraper in the center of an urban area, and then there's like a blast wave, mm. and people are running from it. And I can tell you, man, five years later, that was not the stuff of movies. Mm. After that, we had, it's not universal, there was always irony as well, but there was definitely a wave of people wanting to take movies a lot more seriously in some regards. Even the light entertainments were were deathly serious, and I I feel like a lot of, a a, a new kind of uh, fandom 
sort of arose mm-hmm. where uh, people lived fandom in a different kind of a way. Yeah. Uh, well, they wanted they a lot of people wanted fandom to the stuff that they were fans of, the geek culture they were fans mm-hmm. of, to grow up with them into this environment, and that's mm-hmm. how we got sort of the Zack Snyder wave, or even the Christopher Nolan wave in a different, slightly yeah. different uh, tone um, of of superhero stories. We, we, we want yeah. the 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 childhood characters. Mm-hmm. We want Superman. I argue, but we want it to be adolescent with us. I, I well, I know I don't th- I don't think. I, but here's the thing. I think at least for a while that didn't feel adolescent. That felt more adult. Mm. I would argue that, and I've actually argued that. Um, you know, we we hit a wave of what I had at the time called neo sincerity. Yeah. When we had films that were very successful, that were sort of unabashedly and unapologetically mm. in their genre, stuff like, like Twilight, Twilight, or the Step Up movies, which are just yeah. very bluntly what they are, mm. making no apologies for it, not winking at the audience, just genuinely being. Yeah, but I think Twi- Twilight is a good example because yeah. Twi- that first Twilight movie, man, the, those Twilight yeah. movies have some pretty unhealthy thoughts in them. Really unhealthy, uh, actually. They, yeah. they, they're not good lessons for young teens, no. but. Mocking them. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- first of all, I I, I want to move past sort of all of the sexism that was leveled. There was a lot Twilight. of it. There was a lot of because inherent... it appealed to women. A yeah. lot of people came after it for that. Yeah, but, just, uh, n- just not uh, thinking they were particularly good movies wasn't enough. They had to be derided like, for yeah, like the their appeal for their appeal for the mm. people they were trying to appeal yeah, to yeah. was like considered a bad thing. And yeah. that was but that was a dick move. But coming at, coming after certain kinds of fandom was considered now like the Gen X thing. It's like we're gonna t- gonna take the piss. Everyone said don't take the piss. You don't do that anymore. No, we're, we're dead serious about all, all of these All things. of this is very we're serious. Dead, Batman and, is dead serious yeah. now. And, like, uh, and know, even the idea yeah. of mocking fandom, became that became the thing to be mocked. Yeah. Uh, and that's when nerds sort of shifted into becoming bullies in a way. Like, the yeah. fandom became kind of really it, gross You could definitely point a pin a line there, yeah. There were a lot of things that happened pre and post 9-11 that uh, affected popular culture. Sure. Um, but major, major I, I like life to, events, especially yeah. shared events, mm. Uh, can alter what people want to see on mass, and yeah, I would argue uh, that we were going through this again recently with the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, we went through a major shared cultural and frankly traumatic event, and I think that changed the way we look at a lot of stuff and, and just think, the way that we uh, want to consume stuff. Now, it, uh, pertaining to the letter, I think films like Top Gun and Avatar those, those are like big spectacles, but I feel no. like we're actually entering uh, another sort of '90s like irony phase again, really? where a lot of the big popular stuff is being sniffed at and a little bit looked at a little bit more suspiciously. Oh, I mean from uh, an audience perspective. From an audience perspective. Oh, okay, I see. Okay, yeah. but I, but here's the uh, thing though. I think that's you, we have to remember that there are different audiences and there are definitely people who are sniffing at this stuff. Mm. There's also people who are eating it up. No. People who are very eager and appreciative. Of unapologetically forthright yeah, uh, genre material, and that's I, I, and that's totally fine. It's totally fine, but l- let me take yeah, a, at least in theory they're not all yeah, good, if, but like you know. But I th- I think you, if we take you, us through the arc of like the Marvel movies, the Avengers films, yeah, those we see were, that those are starting to become a little less of a slam dunk. They're, they're less of a slam dunk now. Yeah. They're exploring uh, different kinds of stories that the originals were exploring. Yeah, we're, we're like thirty some movies into this thing, mm-hmm. and. Um, Originally, these are t- they're set in a world where there are terrorists and bad guys. Yeah. But now there's heroes in there to mm. save us from 
9-11 In other words, there's the real uh, world, and then all of a sudden there's an Iron Man. Yeah. 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 And uh, we've gotten far away from that. But yeah, very they, far away to the point they where were, they think it's an unrecognizable reality. They, they take place, but the idea is there's now this freelance military, mm. these superhero characters, who can stop all the bad things from happening. Uh-huh. Uh, no matter what. And of course, it's not just terrorists or earthbound bad guys it's like space aliens and robots but yeah. that's the appeal that that was a very post 9-11 thing mm. the superhero boom uh i like to look at star trek uh yes you like to look at star trek every single day i, I, actually. I, t- I talk about it. i write about <laughs> i i write a star trek article every damn day now yeah if this uh, podcast wasn't running like a little long then we would be recording another trek podcast tonight probably tonight yeah uh but look at well, the way star trek changed uh right around yeah. 9-11 um yeah. Star Trek ran along. It was, you know, Deep Space Nine, Voyager. Mm-hmm. These things were going into 2000. Yeah. And there were dark uh, storylines, but they were still taking yeah. place in kind of a, yeah. Voyager came to, to an end in May of 2001. Star Trek Enterprise debuted September 26th, 2001. Star Trek, Star Trek Enterprise wasn't as successful. Star Trek Nemesis, the movie, came out in 2002. Uh-huh. That was the least successful Star Trek movie of them all. The yep. next Star Trek movie to come along was the J.J. Abrams 2009 reboot, and that was a war picture. Yep. The utopian future that Star Trek promised, uh-huh. where everybody is diplomatic and we talk through our differences mm-hmm. and war is not to be sought, all of a sudden, audiences, audiences didn't want to see that anymore. Yeah. Star- well, they didn't, to be fair, it wasn't offered to audiences in movie theaters. That was what the studio thought audiences wanted to see. Maybe so, but I'm just saying I, that I'm, it wasn't like it wasn't like there were two Star Trek movies: one that was about diplomacy and one that was a big action movie, mm-hmm. and people had the choice. Yeah. To be fair, but, but I, it, it, it was a hit. It was a huge a, hit. There's a reason why I think Star Trek kind of fell out of favor after 9/11 because this was a, a not a time a ser- of diplomacy. A series that promoted diplomacy yeah, yeah. and people didn't want diplomacy at the George W. Bush administration. They wanted war. They wanted vengeance. Yeah. They wanted vengeance fantasies. They wanted darkness. Yeah. Uh, so we got Star Trek, the action picture. Well, we got Star Trek Into Darkness. And then literally. we got Star Trek Into yeah. Darkness in 2012. Yeah. Uh, so you can trace what people were into at the time mm-hmm. and how uh, escapism changed into something much different. Yeah. Uh, whether that's good or bad, who's to say? That was just what the trends were. Yeah. Uh, you could also see it in the humor at the time. A lot, you know, we talked about ironic humor in sort of the 1990s. In the early 2000s, the only way to sort of feel like you were still pushing humor was to go very extreme. Mm. And there was a lot of uh, really aggressively sexist and racist language mm-hmm. that was being kitted in, in a lot of cases. Yeah. But the problem was. What's the difference between using extreme language in a kidding way uh-huh. and just using extreme language? It's pretty and thin. And after and if a while, the line began to vanish. Well, exactly. Well, the thing is, is that you start to realize and hope you should have done it right away. And mm. I was young and I was naive and I didn't appreciate mm. it at the time. But looking back, we fucked up. Uh, was if you're racist or homophobic or sexist or bigoted or whatever, could you watch these shows like South Park? Yeah. That we're trying to say, uh, here are characters who do it. It's funny that they do it because they're bad characters. 
And, and Could you watch and that? It was and, o- just... and it was okay to make that those racist jokes mm-hmm. because the basic understanding was. But we're not racist. But we're not racist. That, well, at least so, that's the theory, yeah. anyway. But the thing is, is that if you are racist, mm-hmm. you're just watching them unironically, yeah. and you're just getting that, that parroted that back issue. to you. And if you're young and impressionable, what you're seeing is you, you don't necessarily have the the adult context that you're supposed to bring to that, which is the understanding baseline assumption that we're not actually racist when we talk about this and so as a result a lot of younger people started getting involved started watching these things and started not having enough context and all they were really getting really was a normalization of certain types of of behavior or certain types of conversation uh it backfired really fucking bad yeah that was not a good thing i think we screwed up and I think we're we're seeing think, we're still uh, we're still reaping the fucking harvest on yeah, that one. Was, I, <laughs> there there were some comedians who did it well, who knew how to yeah. how to, to sort of wield that. But a lot yeah. of a lot of people were just interested in the shock, and they yeah. just would go to the shock, and that's yeah. kind of where like the trenches of 4chan started to sprout. Yeah. And you got like actual to, racists. To, to be being, fair, I want to, I want to say just to, 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 to the timeline, that's not exclusively a post nine 11 thing. That was already happening yeah. and stuff like South park. I think gross out movies, that, extreme that gross out movies were, were very popular well, in the late nineties. Yeah. And so they were pu- pushing the limits for the sake of comedy was already a hit. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's that's fair. I, yeah. I feel like it, it but it was, it was a, concurrent. Though. It reached a level of, yeah. of uh, a certain kind of toxicity. Oh yeah, a, a little bit after. Fair. Well, mm-hmm. and again, we're thinking in generalities. Um, mm. You know, we, we're not so much historians as we were around at the time. Yeah, we're we're, we're not <laughs> professional sociologists, but we were there and we remember what happened and mm. the general vibe of it. And that's something that can get lost over time. You know, mm. like when you, when you and I discuss movie history from when we were alive we have a lot more lived experience Mm. when we talk about movie history from like the 30s and 40s on some of our patreon exclusive podcasts we're going off of what we've read what we've researched what we've seen in movies even and we don't really know what it was like to simply be there yeah living lives and then seeing these movies come out trying to reflect our lives or change our lives or provide an antithesis or an antidote to our lives. And so we don't necessarily know firsthand the full context of those things when they were released. And no one ever can fully. You can research all you want. It won't be exactly the same. So we're sharing our experience based on our particular lived experience. And you know, eventually it'll happen to you and you'll be telling people, it'll be like, hey, what was it like when movies got all weird during the pandemic mm. and you'll be able to tell them and they'll have no idea because they were born in 2021 or something. Yeah, yeah. And it'll be weird. But the context will really matter. Um, anyway, um, we have time for one more? Oh, sure. Let's do one more. Well, let's do one more. Let's sure, just because we haven't done one of these in a bit and <clears> I want to, uh, yeah. you know, a slightly supersized episode in. Yeah, yeah, no problem. problem. No problem, no problem. Uh, Here is a letter from uh, Name Redacted. If you don't send it off at the bottom, I'm not going to read it from the top. Fair enough. Um, Hi, Babies and Whitney. I wanted to start off by telling you that this is one of my favorite podcasts. Oh, thank you. Pish. Uh, I've been listening to you since you were on the Schmoes No podcast fade. So I guess you could say I'm a longtime listener and first-time emailer. Thank you. Um, I'm actually going to about to start my first podcast. Good for you. Uh, My best friend and I are going to be reviewing long-running film and television series in production order. You could say uh, that I was inspired by the two of you and what you did with All Our Yesterdays. Well, thank you. Right. That's, we, that's we, we, we didn't invent podcast. that format, but it means a lot to us mm. that you... that you. Uh, thank you. 
So I was wondering if you'd tell me a bit more about your process when it comes to reviewing film and television. Huh. Aside from occasionally giving friends my opinion on a movie, I've never actually reviewed anything. Mm. I'm super nervous and could use all the help I could get. Anyway, sorry for the long letter. Insert pause for you guys to not to, to tell me not to apologize and keep up the good work. Uh, P.S. Whitney, I know you're a dad. I have a 10-month-old. I'll take any advice you got. <laughs> Why don't uh, we start there and we'll have right, some, um, some film criticism advice. Or film and TV, uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, well, we got to interview Michael Ironside once. That was really yeah. fun. And uh, this was right before my son was was going to be born. Yeah. And uh, I, I said, I'm expecting a child pretty soon, like mm-hmm. within the month. And, and he talked about some and, of his own parenting experiences yeah, was, on the show. He was a really cool guy. He, he's, he's just like very kind, mm-hmm. very Canadian man. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and he would say so as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he did ads for Labatt's, for God's sake. He's very <laughs> Canadian. And... Um, he called me aside and he just sort of put his arm around me and says, yeah, I have there, some, some parenting advice for you. Never lie to your child. If you don't know something, say you don't know. It's like, oh, you know what? And I've taken that. That's really good advice. Yeah, don't 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 lie to your child. Be, be pretty upfront. And uh, even if it's something that might be a little uncomfortable for you or for them, it's okay yeah. to say the truth. Um, yeah. You know, don't, don't like be brutally well, honest. Well, you, also but, you, don't, you also don't want to create an image that you're like unfallible and all knowing when you're not. Mm. And you can, you can learn things together. Yeah. Even. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> as for uh, just sort of practicalities, you have a 10 month old, go to the park, parks, 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 get, get, get that kid, <laughs> get that, I uh, get a really nice stroller. If, if you're in a neighborhood where you can walk around, get a really nice stroller and go to a public park and spend as much time as you can there uh, and sleep whenever you can. Yeah, sleep whenever you can. I'm sure you, you figured that advice. out. Yeah, yeah. Ten, ten months, you probably figured it out. But um, I remember I was reading, um, no, I was a friend of mine. I was, uh, one of my first roommates was uh, went to college with me in film school. I majored in uh, screenwriting. He majored in cinematography. Mm-hmm. And he was subscribed to a bunch of like cinematography, like American Cinematography Magazine. And some famous cinematographer, they was, he was talking about how true this was. They asked, what's the most important piece of advice you can give another cinematographer? Mm. And he said, sit down whenever you can. <laughs> right. You will not get many mm. opportunities. You take those opportunities mm. and you sit down. <laughs> but there are some just practical things. Yeah, sometimes, uh, yeah. sometimes it's just simple. Go, yeah, go to parks. Go yeah. to libraries. There's like kids' story times in yeah. most public libraries. If you live in a neighborhood, there's a lot of parks, a, a lot, lot of libraries. Just of that stuff go, too. Like that, that, that stuff. Imp- that stuff imprints. Yeah, um, it, it was such a gas. I took my son to uh, the main branch of the Santa Monica Library, mm. and uh, I was like, sort of looking through books, like, oh, I used to read this one as a kid, and I opened it up, and the stamp when I checked it out as a child was still in there. <gasps> oh my god, that's adorable! It's like I nearly cried just oh, holding this book I read when I was great. like seven. Um, wow, uh, that was pretty cool. Um, as for reviewing advice, yeah, um, there's a lot into there's a lot that goes into it. You're gonna find your voice over time. That's yeah, part of it. You'll find your voice. Uh, there's a few things that are pretty key. One of them is confidence in your opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're critics. We like to we listen to other people's opinions. We mm-hmm. want people to listen to us, so we in turn like to listen yeah, to others. We care about other people's and, opinions. Uh, we do. We, we're interested. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't but, necessarily uh, change our opinion, but it might. Figure out how you feel, and it's very. this is very important, apart from this vague popular opinion about something. Mm-hmm. Uh, a film might be advertised a certain way, or it might have a certain consensus view and i feel like rotten tomatoes is, has really hurt this idea about yeah. films that this is how everyone should feel about it don't worry about that mm-hmm. don't worry about how everyone else should feel if if you like it and everybody else does mm-hmm. then you match consensus opinion if everybody likes it and you don't then it doesn't but it's still your opinion yeah uh it's very important to give every film an even shake 
Yes. Uh, Doesn't matter what genre it, it is, yeah. who made it. You gotta if if you have any pre existing interest, you mm-hmm. have to just. I, I sometimes if I, especially if I'm have going if I'm having a day, mm-hmm. I like to shut my eyes for a minute before the movie begins. Yeah. And just try to clear out the the clutter mm-hmm. and just be like I I'm here now. The movie yeah, yeah. has the floor. I'm gonna yeah, let the, the, the movie show me what it is, and I'm gonna deal with that. Yeah, and it the, might surprise me. It might not. Yeah, the the, the movie uh, is telling you what it is. Figure out what the movie is trying to tell you what it is, mm-hmm. and suss out how successful you think it's being. Yeah, try not on to, its terms. Try try to remember that there is no such thing as objectivity. No, in film no, criticism, no, that's a big important and, one. And some people get confused here because they think there are. They get confused with the idea of objective observation and objective analysis. Mm-hmm. You can objectively point out. This movie is set in the 1940s. Mm. That we can agree on. But that doesn't necessarily make it good. Yeah. So you need to take your opinion, the opinion that you have, and you need to say, how did I reach this opinion? What decisions did the filmmakers have that led to my opinion? And your opinion is just, there's a macro opinion. The movie is generally pretty good or generally pretty bad. And then there's the the, the smaller opinions mm-hmm. within. Performance, cinematography, how one particular sequence works or doesn't work. Um, yeah, don't confuse objective observation with objective analysis. Yeah. Because objective observation is merely how you take your subjective analysis and help show it to other people. Yeah. I came to this conclusion about how I feel about this movie, and I will show you or tell you about the things that led me to this conclusion. This mm. scene happens. There's this line of dialogue. If you pay attention to the film over time, you'll see that this character arc goes in a certain way, and I found that inspiring, or yeah, I found I mean, that really disappointing and shitty in some yeah, reason. Um and this this is one that a lot of uh, young critics kind of have to work their way through. Yeah. Um Film criticism isn't just, I liked it, I didn't like it. Yes, very it's, important. Yeah. It's, uh, it's you having can, a conversation. You can say that. It's a conversation. It's yeah. Especially on a uh, podcast. That's why we're here. Yeah, we want to uh, be in a room with you while you're having a fun conversation. So, okay, you liked the film. What did you like about the film? Yeah. Why did you like the film? Uh, mm-hmm. Was it uh, a character you liked? Mm-hmm. Was it a st- uh, the story that you liked? And how is the story different from the characters? Would the... Uh, is uh, is it just a tonal thing? Did you like the mm-hmm. feel of the movie? Did it connect there, to a personal memory yeah, that you have? Um, Tell what that was, story, you know? I, I usually am drawn to films if they have like an interesting uh, idea in them. Even if the movie isn't well made, yeah. if it has an interesting notion, I'm going to be more you can, excited you can, about you it. You can latch on to uh, that yeah. and you can appreciate that even if other things yeah, are disappointing. I, yeah. you'll, you'll, say me, you'll, you'll hear me saying this a lot. At least it's about something. You yeah. know, that's what I like to hear. I like to see films that have an idea and present it interestingly. Um, Roger Ebert's credo one that he printed on pencils and gave him out was a movie's not about what it's about but how it's about it yeah the plot isn't always the most interesting thing as is the Mm -hmm. telling yeah Uh, that's an important thing to remember Um, so when you're looking through your reaction to a movie figure out why it is Mm -hmm. uh, why you had that reaction how much of that you're bringing to the table Mm -hmm. because you're bringing it all uh, and uh parse out you know exactly why you had that reaction and that will let you sort of delve into the movie a little bit better and presumably make you a better critic uh one of the things that when when you get started in criticism Mm -hmm. or even just on a project like this well let's say you're gonna watch we're doing a thing where we're watching every single star trek and thus far i don't think we've watched a single star trek that you have never seen 
I, on the other hand, had only seen some. So I have acquired expertise over time. I haven't caught up to you, but I've learned more about it as I went along. Never pretend you know something you don't. Yeah. Always admit it. Mm. And say, and, and think about it as an exciting opportunity to learn. All right. So make sure that you get, you want to have a voice of authority, but your authority can simply just be your confidence in your opinion. Mm. You're going to acquire knowledge over time. You're going to get more confident, but like when you have information, share it. When you know fun trivia, and it comes from a somewhat reliable source, at least preferably entirely reliable, share it. And if you don't know it, don't make it up mm. and definitely don't pretend that you do. That's terrible. Um, when you're doing a podcast, you get to decide for yourself how didactic you want to be. Are you just being informational? Are you trying to do what Whitney and I do, which is this is this podcast notwithstanding. We generally just try to have our conversation about the movie. But if you're going to have your conversation about the movie and just invite the audience to listen in, remember that the audience is listening in and mm. try to think of it as you have a new friend in your friend group who doesn't know yeah. all the in-jokes or anything. So you want to make sure every once in a while, if you bring up a topic or a movie or uh, just something that the average person listening might not necessarily be aware of. Yeah. That is an opportunity and a very useful one to take a brief step outside the conversation and say, hey, audience, if you don't know what we're talking about, here, this is what this movie is. Yeah, it's yeah. really cool or it's really bad or it really mm -hmm. illustrates my uh, point well, this uh, way. So that you can take the opportunity to enjoy the conversation and also potentially learn something mm -hmm. or at least be exposed to something new. Yeah. Uh, when... Uh when I was writing reviews more regularly, yeah, um, and this isn't something I practice so much anymore, but it, it really helps me sort of in the early days. Uh, somebody once asked, "Who do you write for?" Like when you write yeah. somebody, who's your who's your intended audience? Like yeah. who are you picturing reading this? I get that a lot um, actually. And um, yeah. I had two answers uh, when I was writing film reviews. Uh, I was writing for my fifteen-year-old self. Okay, what kind? Like I trying to point to uh, essentially an eager teenager who wants mm -hmm. to learn more about movies. And the other one was my dad. Uh, okay. Because my dad wasn't a movie guy. So he needed to kind of be walked through a lot of the more, the finer points of certain cinema. That's and a I, very I feel specific like, answer, yeah. I feel like those allowed me to uh, be a little bit more explicit in my language mm -hmm. and not assume that my readers necessarily knew everything. And that's a really good point because especially when you're doing this kind of like deep dive podcast, are you trying to cater to people who already know everything about the topic and either want to learn more about it or want to know what it's like through your eyes? Or are you trying to introduce people to this along with yourself? And that might change the tone uh, yeah. as well. Um, some people think that film, that uh, film criticism, TV criticism, uh, is or should be explicitly for one group or another. The answer I give for that is I write film criticism uh, for people who think it would be fun to read film criticism. Okay. For people who would like to know more about a movie and how other people thought about it. Because to me, that's what art criticism in general is about. It is about seeing things through other people's eyes, hopefully people who are articulate and know what they're talking about so that they can clearly convey 
what they thought and why they felt it so that you are better equipped to see it through that lens as well and either agree or disagree or find it interesting or not. Mm. Hopefully be entertained. That's for certain. Yeah. On that note, one last thought here. Uh, film criticism, TV criticism to a different extent, is the last safe haven for puns. <laughs> Um, it's the last place where William, it is. So, William is shut uh, up, giving you really bad up. advice. It is right the now. last place where it is socially acceptable <laughs> to use puns. Oh, is it? So enjoy it while it while you can. Take the opportunity. Write them out ahead of time if you feel the need. You go right on ahead and do that. The world will be a better place for it. Anyway, that is it for we've got mail. We hope that helped. Uh, but uh, that is it for We've Got Mail. Thank you, everybody, for writing in. Again, sorry if we didn't get to your email. We will read more in the future. Uh, you feel free to email us again or to let us know if something's really important or timely. Every once in a while that has come up. Someone wants something read for a birthday or whatever. Reach out. You can find us on social media. Uh, but most importantly, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Send us a letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we're on uh, social media. We're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim, and other social medias at I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. I'm, I'm on Instagram. You don't have to use Twitter if you don't want to. I'm on Instagram. I almost, I don't check it very often, and I really don't check Facebook very often. So if you All reach right. out to me on Facebook, facebook i might not get back to you for months that's not an exaggeration well, and, but and like twitter twitter happened pretty, to me a couple of times yeah. like when somebody who doesn't know gives you like a, a, a yeah. direct message yeah it goes into like this secret folder that i yeah. never think to check so it's yeah. like I'll, I'll check it's like i got oh, a, God, a letter that, from somebody it was really kind like a year and a half ago. i know and now you can't even bring it up yeah. because you're so fucking embarrassed so like so yeah so uh instagram i don't check very often mm. and i mostly just use it for pictures of my cats um, yeah. But Twitter is a pretty good place to find me as well. Uh, I'm at William Bibiotti. There you go. But I'm also on some various other social medias. Basically, anytime a halfway decent looking social media uh, site gets off the ground, like Spoutable or um, uh, what's that, Post as well, um, I plant my flag and I just call my name, put my avatar in there so people can find me. And if I decide to start using it, I will. I've been using Spoutable a bit more lately. I rather like Spoutable right now. Uh, but we'll just see how everything goes. Anyway, that's it for We've Got Mail. Thank you, everybody, who wrote in once again. Thank you to all of our patrons, without whom this show would not be possible. If you want to listen to our show without any ads, you can do so on our Patreon page for as little as $1 a month. But for other tiers, you also get a whole bunch of other exclusive stuff, including a bunch of exclusive podcasts, including the All Our Yesterdays podcast. We review every single episode of Star Trek in order. We get uh, Discord hangouts. We have shows about the Academy Awards. Uh, and uh, stick around because we have a, a new show that we're working on right now. I'm really excited about it uh, in the near future. So that'll be on the main feed, but there will be a Patreon component as well, I think. So thank you, everybody, for, once again, everything. You're wonderful. Have a great week. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney.